going to commence reading verse 7 of Romans chapter 15. Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also hath received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as is written, for this cause I will confess to thee, I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles and his people. And again praise the Lord all ye Gentiles and laud him all ye people. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root out of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this night. We pray that you'd guide our time as we come together now around your word. Lord, give us uh, understanding. Uh, give us, Father God, uh, that uh, leading of the Spirit, Father, that we might indeed glean from your word tonight that which you'd have for us. Uh, use me, Father God, to your glory. Uh, may... The words that I speak be your words, may it be your truth, and may we receive from you that which you'd have for us tonight, that we might leave this place singing your praise. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the Saviour, we thank you for this night, and we just pray that you bless as we study your word together in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know it's been a long time since we've been in the book of Romans, but in our, in our study of Romans... We've seen that Paul in Romans chapter 14 stresses the fact that life isn't about what we eat or even about what we drink or any of those secondary issues. It's all about Jesus Christ. And as we come to chapter 15 of Romans, and particularly now to verses 7 through 13, Paul has in mind the Jewish Gentile problem. You know, the Jews are God's chosen people. The Gentiles are all those who are not Jews, those outside the Jewish faith. The reality is that in Bible times, the Gentiles hated the Jews and were rebellious against God. And the Jews, on the other hand, tried to stay away from the Gentiles. The daily prayer of a strict Jewish male involved thanking God that he was not a Gentile. And even after... These Jewish believers became Christians, were believed in Christ and became born again. Even then, the tendency of some of these Jewish believers was to doubt whether the Gentiles were really on an equal spiritual plane with them, that any Gentile who was saved could not be equally as uh, on the same plane as a Jew who was saved. So this in mind that Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also hath received us to the glory of God. And this verse 7 lays the foundation, lays the groundwork for what he's about to say in verses 8 through 13, which tells us that God has brought not only the weak and the strong together, but also the Jew and the Gentile. One commentator said this, Paul is no longer exhorting here a negative way, when he was calling us not to offend nor to cause someone to stumble, but is now positively calling for us to rejoice in what God has done in making us one. 
Now, he made his point about like-mindedness back in verse 5, where he says, Ness, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to, Jesus, according to Christ Jesus. After making that point about like-mindedness, Paul now goes on to say that as believers we are to receive Jew and Gentile in Christ alike. We are to receive the Jew and the Gentile in Christ here in verses 7 and following, particularly verse 7. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 7, we're firstly given to us an exhortation to receive one another, to accept one another. And then we're told upon what basis we're to accept one another. Notice what he says in verse 7. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also hath received us to the glory of God. So we are commanded here to receive one another. And we're to receive one another, and this is how we're to do that, as Christ also hath received us to the glory of God. In other words, what he's saying here is Christ receives us based upon our faith in Him. The reason you and I are accepted by Christ, and the reason you and I are accepted by God is because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So if the Jew has faith in Christ, we should receive him. And if the Gentile has faith in Christ, we should receive him. If Christ receives the saved Jew and Christ receives the saved Gentile, then we should receive both Jew and Gentile. This was how Paul argued against Peter when they met in Antioch. Go with me to Galatians chapter 2, if you would, please. This was Peter's argument, uh, sorry, Paul's argument to Peter in Galatians chapter 2, and verse 11 down to verse 16. It says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come... He withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that were of the circumcision. For the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as, the Jew, as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith of Christ, and not by works of the law, but by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul's argument to Peter was that Jews and Gentiles are both saved the same way. And we should not require of the Gentiles to live like a Jew, particularly since the Jews were not expected to particularly keep all the Jewish law now that they were saved either. In other words, if a Gentile is saved, then the Jew ought to receive the Gentile. If a Jew is saved, then the Gentile ought to receive the Jew. As it says in verse 7, Wherefore receive ye one another. The basis for the Jewish believer receiving for accepting and fellowshipping with the Gentile believer is the truth of the gospel. That is, that a man is justified by faith in the finished work of Christ upon the cross of Calvary and the justification of that person is the basis upon which we have fellowship. If the person is saved, if the person knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, then we're to receive them. 
If God accepts a man, Jew or Gentile, on the base of his faith, then so should the Jewish believer accept the Gentile believer and vice versa. And then in verses 8 and 9, Paul tells the Roman Christians to accept one another because both Jew and Gentile were part of God's great plan. So now he's going to kind of expand, if you like, on verse 7. Verse 7, he gives the principle that we're to accept one another as Christ has accepted us, has received us. And now he's going to expand upon that principle here in verses 8 and 9. And firstly, concerning the Jew, he says that Jesus Christ was a minister to the circumcision. Notice what he says in verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. The word minister here means servant. He served the circumcision. Jesus Christ served the Jews. That's the circumcision here. This is the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. Now I say Jesus Christ was a minister, was a servant to the Jews. He came as a servant to the Jews. He exercised his office. <coughs> Excuse me, the office of Messiah among the Jews. He was born a Jew. He was circumcised the eighth day as a Jew. He kept the law as a Jew. And ultimately, he died in the midst of a Jewish nation as a Jew. He was a Jew. And because he came as a Jew, he fulfilled the law of God and the purpose of God for the Jewish nation. Notice what it says in verse 8. It says, Now the, I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. For the truth of God. That as Jesus Christ came to the Jewish nation as a Jew to show that God was true. That God was faithful. That God was true to his word. Christ came to confirm or to establish the truth of the promise of God. God had made many promises over many generations to the nation of Israel. And now Jesus Christ comes in the flesh to the Jewish nation born of a Jewish mother and he's a Jew in order that he might demonstrate to the Jewish nation, to confirm to the Jewish nation that God's promises are true. He further then explains at the end of the verse to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. The word confirm there means to verify. God had made many promises to the fathers. The fathers here are Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And of course the Jewish nation. God had made promises to Abraham, promises to Isaac, promises to Jacob, and ultimately to the Jewish nation, the physical seed of these fathers, there were certain promises made to them that God was going to fulfill in the coming of Christ. The promises here in particular referred to the, or relate to the coming of the Messiah. In order to keep his promise to Israel, to keep his promise that he made to Abraham under the Abrahamic covenant, the promise he made to Isaac and Jacob, the promise he made to Israel, in order to show that those things be true, Jesus Christ came of the Jewish seed. That's what the genealogies were all about, to prove that he was indeed the genuine Messiah of Israel so that he might come to fulfill the promises of God. And when he came, he fulfilled the law. And at his coming, 300 promises were fulfilled. But these promises were not just for the Jew, but also the Gentile. 
So Jesus Christ came for the circumcision. He came that the circumcision might realize that God's promises are indeed true, that God is faithful to the truth. But Jesus Christ didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the Gentiles. And that's the point of verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as written, for this cause I'll confess to thee among the Gentiles, confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. Jesus Christ was a servant to the circumcision to confirm his promises to them so that the Gentiles might glorify God. Jesus Christ came so that the Gentiles might glorify God. The Gentiles were of old part of God's plan and promise. So the problem that the nation of Israel had was they didn't see that the Gentiles had any part in God's plan or promise. And once these Jewish believers got saved, these Jews got saved and became Jewish believers, they struggled to accept that the Gentiles could have a part in this salvation that this Jewish Messiah had brought for them. But God wants us to understand, here in Romans, He wants us to understand that the Gentiles were of old part of God's plan. That they were part of God's promise from way back in the beginning and indeed through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This was all part of God's plan. The promises made to Abraham was that the nation of the earth would be blessed through his seed, which was Christ. Remember that? God told Abraham, he said, In thy seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed. Everybody, Jew and Gentile, will be blessed because of the seed of Abraham, because of Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 15 and verse 9 reminds us that God wanted the Gentiles, not thus the Jews, to glorify him that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You in Christ, God would show mercy to any Gentile who believed. And when you and I trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we experience the mercy of God, it's to the glory of God. To prove this, Paul applies his own principle of 15.4, Romans 15.4. He says this in Romans chapter 15 and 4, he says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Paul says the things that were written beforehand were written for our learning. That's Jewish and Gentile believers in Rome. They were written for our learning. And here he shows that the Old Testament teaches the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's plan. And what he does is now he quotes a series of Old Testament passages that prove that the Gentiles were always part of God's plan, that God always wanted the Gentiles to be saved as much as the Jews. The Jews were supposed to be his witnesses. And through their witness, Gentiles were to be saved. God never intended that the nation of Israel would isolate itself from the Gentiles and never share the gospel with them. God's purpose, God's plan throughout all of the ages has been that Gentiles would equally partake in God's promises as the Jews. And certainly quotes scriptures. First he quotes Psalm 18.49 here at the end of verse 9 in Romans 15. Which says, as is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. This is Psalm 1849, David in Psalm 18 tells 
how God has delivered him. He speaks of God's wonderful deliverance through salvation. And then in Psalm 18, verse 49, he says that he would confess his deliverer among the Gentiles. Verse 49 says this, Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. So the David of the Davidic covenant testifies to the Gentiles of their salvation. He says, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the Gentiles. I will sing praises unto thy name among the Gentiles. King David, the psalmist of old, proclaimed that the gospel was to be preached to the Gentiles. Now the truth is that when Israel rejected Christ, God did turn to the Gentiles. And this happened when Christ died and he rent the veil in two. Remember when Christ died, the veil of the temple rent in two. And at the same time, Ephesians tells us he broke down the middle wall of petition. Now, the middle wall of petition is that petition in the temple whereby the Jew was on one side, the Gentile on the other side, and they didn't worship together. God broke down that middle wall so the two could come into the Holy of Holies through the blood of Jesus Christ and have fellowship with God on equal ground. Both Jew and Gentile can be saved and both Jew and Gentile can now be part of the same body. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Ephesians 2, 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in the time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we're both, uh, we both have access by one Spirit of the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints." and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostle and prophet Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building is fitly joined together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are builded together for the hab and habitation of God through the Spirit. It tells us there that he has broken down the middle wall in verse 14, for he is our peace who hath broken, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us. When Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, he broke down the middle wall of petition. Now we can come in one body, the church, in Christ Jesus through faith in him. And so Romans chapter 15 verse 9 makes it clear that God had every intention of the Gentiles being involved in the salvation that Jesus Christ would bring. In fact, he says there in the middle of the verse, he says, for this cause... 
The phrase for this cause is referring back to the first part of this verse. That the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as written for this cause. That is, once we partake of salvation, then we can bring glory to the Lord. God saves Gentiles so that we ought to be able to give thanks unto God. God saves us so that we might bring praise to His name. And the fact is, isn't it, beloved, that God loves sinners such as you and I. And because He loved us, He went to the cross of Calvary and He died for us. And because of our faith in Him, He saves you and I. Delivers us from sin, delivers us from hell, delivers us to an eternity in heaven with Him. He displays His mercy. And by our faith in Him, He displays His glory. He declares His glory. What a great God we have. We have a merciful God. A God who is worthy of our praise. And that's what Paul picks up in the next verse when he says the Gentiles are to rejoice with the Jews. Look at verse 10. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. The Gentiles are now to rejoice with the Jews. Okay? The Jew, the circumcision, were saved because God wants to confirm His promises, prove that He keeps His promises. The Gentiles were saved because that was part of God's promise, so that we might bring glory to God. And He says, now what should happen is both Jew and Gentile, Jewish believer and Gentile believer, because we're one body, we ought to rejoice together. And He quotes from Deuteronomy 32:43, which says, Rejoice, ye na- O ye nations, with His people. Now, Deuteronomy 32 is the Song of Moses. And in the Song of Moses, Moses calls the Gentiles to rejoice with God's people. (laughs) So we have David, King David, of the Davidic Covenant, saying that Gentiles are part of God's promise. Now we have Moses, the leader of the nation of Israel, saying that the nations need to rejoice with Israel because of salvation. Moses, the great lawgiver, saw that the message of salvation that was delivered to the Jews was a message for the Gentiles. There's no greater joy than the joy of salvation. And this is the middle wall of petition has come down. You and I can partake of that salvation. And we can share in the joy. And therefore, here in verse 10, we're compelled to rejoice with Israel for our salvation. He says there, Again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. First Thessalonians 5.16, we're told to rejoice evermore. In Philippians 4.4, we're said to told, Rejoice the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You know, if anyone has any reason to rejoice, then we have, don't we? I mean, think about it. We have our sins forgiven and forgotten. We're the sons of God. We're joint heirs with Christ. We have eternal life. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the privilege of prayer. We have the Word of God given to us. All of that and heaven too. That should cause us to praise the Lord. No wonder 
Paul says, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. You and I have a great deal to rejoice about, and we ought to rejoice. Paul takes this theme further, in case we haven't figured it out yet, that we're supposed to rejoice. Gentiles are supposed to give thanks unto God. He goes further in verse 11 where he says Gentiles are to praise God. So the Jew and the Gentile together are to praise God. Now he says the Gentiles are to praise God. Look in verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and Lord him, all ye people. Here he quotes from Psalm 117 and verse 1, which says, Praise the Lord, all ye nations, praise him, all ye people. And here we have King David, the psalmist, once again calling not only on the Jews, but on the nation of the world to praise God for his merciful kindness. Praise ye the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and Lord him, all ye people. Salvation, God's grace, should set us praising God. And the Gentiles, more than others, should have a cause to praise you know, think about it. You know, the Gentiles used to praise idols of wood and stone. But now we serve a risen Savior who's alive today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 is an example of what's been talked about here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Talk about Thessalonica and believers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. They turned to God from idols to serve the living God, and they're waiting for His Son to come back. Likewise, every one of us should turn from our idols under the Lord, and display our faith in Jesus Christ in both word and deed. Our faith should cause us to praise the Lord. Philippians 3, 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I know at times it's hard for us to get excited in the Lord, to, to get really uh, worked up about the, the wonderful joy of knowing the Saviour. But it ought not to be hard for us. It ought to be something, as you and I think about Christ, and we think of what he did for us, and the fact that he has delivered you and I, it ought to bring upon our lips praise and thanksgiving. And notice we're not to rejoice in what we have done, but we are to rejoice in the Lord. It says they praise ye the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and Lord him, all ye people. It says in Philippians Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. We're to rejoice the Lord. We're to praise the Lord. Not our achievements, not our possessions, not who we are, but the Lord. Now, the reason that is, as we all know, it's because through his death and resurrection that he secured our salvation and our praise could only be in him. There is no other place to offer praise. Where else will we give thanks but unto the Lord? Paul then continues this theme of praise and gives us more reasons for rejoicing and praising in verses 12 and 13, where he says we're to praise the Lord for Christ shall reign over the Gentiles. The Jew ought to praise the Lord because God keeps his promises. The Gentile ought to praise the Lord because he's part of those promises. 
The Jew and Gentile are to praise the Lord together for His mercy and grace. The Gentile are to praise the Lord for His mercy. And now we're to praise the Lord because Christ shall reign over the Gentiles. Look at verse 12 and 13. And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root out of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Here he quotes Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10, which says, And in that day shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and the rest, and his rest shall be glorious. This is a messianic prophecy to be filled in the millennial kingdom. And what it shows is that saved Gentiles, those who've trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, trusted the Jewish Messiah for salvation, are partakers of the messianic promises of the millennial kingdom. Now think about that. The messianic promises of the Old Testament were primarily to the Jews. That's what the Jews understood. The messianic promises were he was their Messiah. That was the problem when he came. They didn't accept him as their Messiah. They rejected their Messiah. But we're told in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10 that the Gentiles, the saved Gentiles, those who have trusted the Jewish Messiah for salvation will be partakers of the messianic blessings. Paul shows that the truth of God through the Old Testament Scriptures, that the promises to the fathers were not just to the Jews, but the Gentiles alike. Now, I don't know about you, that's a remarkable truth, isn't it? I mean, think about all those promises to the Old Testament. When you and I read a promise, a messianic promise of the Old Testament, you and I are in the mind of God when God makes that promise to Israel. God said the Gentiles, saved born-again believers who are of Gentile stock, are also in his mind in those promises. Kind of makes you read the Old Testament a little different, doesn't it? You read all those messianic promises, and you know, we can get caught up in the fact that we think, well, that's for Israel, that's for Israel, that's for Israel, that's for Israel. But Paul is telling us here, in these quotes from the Old Testament, that all those things that are true in the Old Testament, David declares to be true for Gentiles. Moses in his song declares the Gentiles are involved in this. David repeats it. Isaiah says it. That one day Christ is going to reign over even the Gentiles. That you and I are going to rule and reign with Christ, who is the Messiah, and be partakers of the Messianic blessings. In verse 12 here it says, Again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. The word trust there means hope. You know, once upon a time we were that hope. That's what Ephesians 2.12 says, having no hope. But now in Christ Jesus we have hope. And what's more, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is a blessed hope. Isn't that what Titus tells us? Let's go there. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. 
For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that in denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself of peculiar people, zealous of good works. We're looking for that blessed hope, and that blessed hope is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who died for us and redeemed us from all iniquity. That's our blessed hope. That's why we praise. That's why we rejoice. Because you see, as Gentiles, we're partakers of those blessings. Because we are, God's promises were made, yes, to the Jews, but we were included in that pro, those promises. God wanted the Gentiles to be saved, as equally the Jews saved. Sure, the Jews didn't do their job. They failed to preach the gospel to the Gentiles like they should have done. But that doesn't mean that God didn't want Gentiles to be saved. And when Israel finally rejected their Messiah, then the Lord turned to the Gentiles. We know that from the book of Acts. The gospel went from the Jew to the Gentile, but God still is interested in saving both Jew and Gentile and making them one body. And those of us who trust in Him have hope, a blessed hope. Jesus Christ is coming again. One preacher said this, there's a beautiful progression found in these four references. Verse 9, the Jewish singer is standing in the midst of the Gentiles singing praises. In verse 10, both groups are rejoicing with each other. In verse 11, the Gentiles directed to sing his praise, whether anyone else is singing or not. And finally, in verse 12, the focus is not on the singers, but on the Savior who reigns supreme. We're to sing because the Savior reigns supreme. And this leads to the benediction, which summarizes the attitudes that should flow from the knowledge that he has just talked about. And he says in verse 13, and this is where he ends a major section of the book of Romans. He says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. This is a word of hopefulness. That his readers will be rejoicing in the same thing. Together, Jew and Gentile will rejoice about the same thing. They'll rejoice in the fact that they have peace through believing in Christ. Notice what he says. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. We have joy and peace because we're saved. Whether you're Jew or Gentile doesn't matter. If you're saved, you have joy. If you're saved, you have peace. Peace with God. And we can enjoy life because of our blessed hope. He says, Now the God of hope fill you with joy and peace that you may abound in hope. Abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Abound in hope. We have something to live for. We have someone to live for. We have hope. In this hopeless world in which we live, we have hope. In this world of darkness, we have joy. In this world of unrest, we have peace because of Christ. Pastor Mitchell in his notes says this, knowing that through faith the middle wall of petition has been broken down, 
There can and should be peace in believing, peace between brethren, peace between Jew and Gentile, a common joy and a common peace. The God of peace can make us abandon hope, not through self-effort, not through willpower. But you and I have this joy and this peace and this hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. Look what he says at the end of the verse there. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the working of God in our hearts that brings peace and joy and hope. Christ wants us to live for him, but he has not left us powerless. One commentator said, we move from sinners to singers, from being hopeless to being filled with hope, from having no joy or peace to experience the fruit of the Spirit. And so he says, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. As the redeemed, we should be able, and we should not rather be able to contain ourselves when it comes to rejoicing. As one preacher said, the saved must sing. The saved must sing. God promises, God's promises and our salvation should cause you and I to praise God. We have peace, we have joy, we have hope. And we have power to live through the Holy Ghost in the light of that hope. In Revelation chapter 7 and verses 9 through 10, we have a scene in heaven that expresses how we ought to praise the Lord and how indeed we will praise him one day. In Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, 10, we read this. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cry with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb. Saying with a loud voice, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. They recognize that God is the source of salvation and no one else. And that caused them to praise. Likewise, as Romans 15, 11 says, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. Christ is our hope. He's the hope of the Jew and the hope of the Gentile alike. And therefore, as this passage tells us, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's praise the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word and for this challenge, simple as it is, to simply praise you. And Lord, in these verses 7 through 13, you just repeat the same phrase by quoting Old Testament Scripture to demonstrate to us that we ought to praise you. Praise you for our salvation. Praise you for the hope that we have in Christ. Praise you for peace. Praise you for joy that comes in knowing Christ. We thank you, Father God, that even in the Old Testament you had us in mind. Father, you wanted us to be partakers of that same salvation. One day partakers of the millennial blessings because of who you are. Lord, may we leave this place tonight singing your praise. 
for you're worthy of all the praise. So as we close in Jesus' name.